0: Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills and Blake Cripps.
1: This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be. Explaining to you the truth. I'm going to be telling a lot of you the truth during this show. Some of you don't want to hear this. I'm talking to you, Kansas City Royals baseball fan. You may not like it, but I am telling you the truth. We'll see if you agree after the show. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. This is the Keeper of the Games podcast. Hopefully, we will be the mildly unqualified and wildly entertaining podcast one of these days. We are focusing on sports in and around, and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. This is episode number seventy-two of the Cockpot. I am Blake Cripps, and we are joined once again by Weston Mills. Weston, are you ready to receive the truth that I am going to bring to you today?
0: I'm not ready, uh, but I already know. Uh, if it make, uh, let me I'll say it this way: I have accepted the truth, but I'm still not ready for it. Even <laughs> though I know where we're at with this club, I'm not ready for it. Yeah, but. I know I know where it's at I know where it's headed It's unfortunate The Royal Stink man
1: They're not good. They're just not good. And we're going to start with that after we go through the uh, complimentary and obligatory uh, ways that you can get in touch with us. Cogsports.com, of course, is the website. Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games to watch the show. Or, of course, our videos are on YouTube. Best way to interact with us is on our Facebook page or at CogPod on Twitter. CogPod.podomatic.com, best place to get the podcast each and every week. But the audio is everywhere. It's on Stitcher, it's on Spotify, it's on Google, it's on Apple, and it's probably on a bunch of other fruits too, so just find it. If you've got a podcasting platform you like to use, we are probably there. Coming up on the show today, we hit Wichita State basketball last week, so we thought, you know, we probably ought to hit the other two major Division I schools. What do people care about in Lawrence? KU basketball. What do people care about in Manhattan? Kansas State football, so we're hitting those two stories this week as well. We're not that far away from getting into Big 12 football properly with preseason starting. We'll have Big 12 football media days, the preseason poll. It's only about 70 days away from kickoff, believe it or not. Looking forward to that. But we are beginning today with the Kansas City Royals. Kansas City coming into today's game against the Boston Red Sox, a game that they are tied in by the way, bottom of the 6th as we record this on Monday the 28th, 5-5 five five, bottom of the 6th. Kansas City is 10 games under 500. They are now 12 games back in the wild card. Believe it or not, they are further back in the wild card than they are in their own division. 11 and a half games back of the Chicago White Sox. Royals have lost 3 of their last 10 They have, beg your pardon, lost seven of the last ten. They have lost five games in a row. And Weston, it is that time of year. I am sticking a fork in the Kansas City Royals right now. We play the game all the time. Do the Royals suck? The Royals suck. The Royals are not any good. They are not coming out from this. They are not coming on the other side. There's not going to be a magical run. Not that there won't be a stretch where they play above 500 baseball. Maybe even 600 baseball for a stretch. There will be one of those, I believe. Weston, this team is too inconsistent. It is too unhealthy. And the guys that they do have healthy, quite frankly, just aren't any good. Take a look at my guy, Jorge Soler. Over his last 15 games, Jorge Soler is hitting 200 over his last 15 games. However, this is a guy that the Royals need to drive in runs. He's got three RBIs in his last 15 games. You and I have the same number of RBIs as this guy does over his last seven games. Jorge Soler is a run-producing bat in the middle of the Royals' order. He is doing nothing. Hunter Dozier, don't get me started on this guy. Hunter Dozier, over his last 15 games, has struck out 15 times while going 7 for 48. That's 146. 146 over his last 15 games. The pitching staff is brutal. Salvador Perez is finally coming back to earth. I mean, the guy can't hit 350 for the whole season, probably. So somebody else has got to help him. Alberto Mondesi is made apparently of paper mache. Brad Keller is going the opposite direction. His ERA is back over six and a half, 6.3 ERA over his last seven games, three and four, 26 earned runs, 34 strikeouts with a whip of 1.8. All of these things that had to come into place to make Kansas City the type of team that you thought that they could be, and certainly the team after they got off to that great start, that they looked like they could be, none of those things have come into place. At this point, I know we're, we're, we're in, going into July, we're about at the all-star break. The whole argument of, well, we got a small sample size, we don't know, and that was fair to say, that was fair of you and Tommy to say in April, in May. Even this month in June. At this point, we're at the all-star break. The Royals are who they are at this point. And right now, offensively, Kansas City's pretty bad. Kansas City as a club, 24th in the major leagues in offense. 24th. How about we go to pitching? The Royals, in the American League, in pitching. Let's sort it by ERA. Royals are third worst in the league in ERA, 4.87. They can't pitch. They're not hitting consistently enough. Weston, this team is done. They're not contending. They're certainly not making the playoffs. They're definitely not winning the division. It's over. It is time to start thinking ahead for 2021-2022, the offseason that is to come starting in October because there is no chance that the Royals are playing meaningful baseball in this country unless they're playing in Florida in a winter league or going to Cuba. It's not happening for this team. I hate to tell you this Royals fans. I wish this was not the case. Weston, it's over. I'm sorry. Your dream of contention, it's done. It's not happening.
0: Yeah, so it's uh mathematically not impossible, but uh every bit of improbable, right? Like it's just like you said it's not going to happen. And I, and I think you Really hit the nail on the head. I think everything they need to start doing now and immediately needs to make them ready to contend in 2022 because that's what the Royals organization said to the fans, or maybe they didn't say, but they certainly signaled to the fans by the moves they made this offseason. So, from how
1: much blame do they get for where the Royals are? Because you said bring in Benintendi, Santana. You said that they were ready to win. This year, does this put them behind the eight ball in some way with contracts and, you know, Yeah, because the way that major leagues work now is you got a window, and once that window is shut, then you're into Houston Astros land where you're winning like 50 games a year.
0: Yeah, frankly, I, I don't think it necessarily set them back by any means other than I think the one area you could argue that it set them back is if you thought that this organization, regardless of whether they thought they were continuing or not, would have not called up Jackson Kowar, would have not called up Daniel Lynch, would have not called up Chris Bubik, because obviously we're starting service time there um, where we otherwise wouldn't be. Well, not so much with Bubic, but with the other two, Kowar and Lynch, we would have not started service time. I I think that regardless contention or not, I think those guys had reached a point in their minor league career they would have been brought up, not saying successful or not successful. I just think it would have happened whether the team was thinking, okay, 2022 is the year or not. So frankly, I don't think there was many moves that were of much consequence. Franchi Cordero, who we traded for Andrew Benatendi was not part of the long-term plan. Uh, Khalil Lee might have been, but even there, you know, the, the build of Khalil Lee was of what we have within the system, you know, some of the, the smaller, faster outfielder, you know, we have plenty of that within the system anyways. So yes, you were giving up a guy that I think folks were somewhat excited about, not necessarily a cornerstone, but someone that people were excited about. Um, but again, it's a player that you believe that you have those tools in many other players within the organization. It's not like it was a starting pitcher where, where they come at such a premium. It's not like it was a shortstop that comes at such premium. Um, so, I don't, from that standpoint, I don't think that they were, they really set themselves back too much. Um, even with the Ben and Tindy trade, you know, and this is where I want to take this conversation is okay, what do they need to do now to get ready? Again, we had this conversation, maybe it was last week or two weeks ago that I said, hey, look, I think they need to consider, yeah, trading Ben and And I think that absolutely needs to be on the table now because, and to me, and again, it's just it, the fans need to pay attention because. It's going to be a win, because the way he's played, you will absolutely flip Andrew Benintendi for more than what we got him for. There's no doubt, because we we traded for him at his lowest, at his worst with the Boston Red Sox. Okay,
1: but you you said that the, the window's not closed this year. Why not keep Benintendi... For next season, if you mm-hmm. believe, yeah. like you say, yeah. that the Royals can contend next year, because I think if Benintendi mm-hmm. plays like
0: he did this year, he yeah. can help this team. If and he absolutely, stays and I I would not fault the team either way because to me they're in a position with Andrew Benintendi. Absolutely, I'm fielding offers and blow me away with an offer. If there's not, I mean, don't move. The Royals do move need him arms just apparently. To move him. But if you, I mean, I, I think he played well enough and you know how the, the major leagues go with the deadline teams get desperate because they're in it and they it, it's so easy to identify what the sure. holes are. Hey, we need a left hand bat. We need a corner outfielder. It's so easy to identify that. So it becomes very easy, I think, to, to get a premium for a player. So if that position unfolds itself to the Royals, absolutely need to make the move on him. And fans need to be ecstatic that we flipped him for more than we got him for. But to your point, I think the Royals, again, they were in a win-now mode. And certainly next year, there's going to be some contracts that are coming up. So next year again will have to be a win-win now because they've put themselves in that position. So absolutely, Benintendi has shown well. And if you don't get a blow-me-away offer, I'm keeping him. And certainly with that, I would expect, and this is with any trade, the Royals are probably going to be looking at more MLB-ready prospects. I mean, you're not getting a—obviously, no team's going to trade a contributor because that they wouldn't be in a position to trade the contributor they're winning. But you, there are those MLB prospects right. that, hey, you know, they've got a starting catcher that's that's fantastic. And but look, they've got a young guy sitting in the minor leagues that you know he's just not going to get PT because they they they've got a, a guy at the major league levels. But he's MLB ready. You know, those are the kind of players that I think the Royals would be targeting. And again, not saying a catcher. Obviously, we've got Sal, so that doesn't make too much sense. But you get my point. Um, you know, and, and then going back to, I, I think one of the other things you mentioned, or you kind of asked me, and I. I took it twofold. Was you know, hey, how much does the organization have to uh, to blame for this? And I don't think the moves going into the year set them back. But I certainly think if you look at this roster and what folks thought they were going to get out of this team, I, th- I I will be surprised if either or not both Cal Eldridge, the pitching coach, and Terry Bradshaw. First of all, did you know our hitting coach is named Terry Bradshaw? That's kind of fantastic. But the hitting coach, Terry Bradshaw, it I will be surprised if point. one, if not both, lose their job sometime in the near future or at least by the end of the season. I think somebody has to go because otherwise you're going to – I mean, right? The general manager's office – Mike JJ Matheny was, on the hot seat? Uh, Piccola and Dayton Moore. I don't think so just because – you brought him in to replace Ned Yost. I think you have to r- ride that out longer. And I think, and maybe he will be, but I think the hitting coach and pitching coach go first, right? So I, and I think the GM's office has to say, hey, we put the players okay. that we thought were ready to contend. And if they just let it slide, I think they're saying, hey, maybe we brought in the wrong guys. Otherwise, you, if you let go the pitching coach and hitting coach, I think that signals uh, certainly that you think that there is also some developmental issues uh, with your coaching staff. Uh, and with that being said, too, I know I, I've seen some suggestion that, uh, particularly, I think Cal Eldridge has taken more hit, or Eldred has taken more hit than uh, uh, Terry Bradshaw. I saw some suggestion about how well Daniel Lynch and Jackson Kowar are now pitching down in AAA. But to me, that I don't know how you can even make that argument because, yeah, I mean, you would hope that. You can pitch better against Triple A talent than you can against Major League talent. I mean, that that just tracks. So I don't know that you can necessarily direct, you know, Cal Eldred's style in Kansas City compared to when they go back to Omaha and are pitching in against Triple A bats. So, you know, I think there's some things that they need to do. Um, like you said, uh, we certainly look at Jorge Soler and we look at. Um, Hunter Dozier, I think Jorge, Jorge Soler is all but gone after the trade deadline. I think they re- maybe even flat out release him after the deadline because they'll be in in uh, developmental mode if they cannot trade him. Certainly at this point, you're not getting much in return, but if you get anything, I don't know why they wouldn't. Hunter Dozier is here to stay. They, he signed a four-year, $25 million deal at the beginning of, of last last season, so they're paying him and he's staying. Now, to me, I'm not, it doesn't change my argument that I think he could use two weeks in Omaha um, but, I mean, but but they're, yeah, but they're months, paying him, maybe. so he's, he will not be leaving the Kansas City Royals roster, uh, no doubt. So, I, I think they need to address that. I mean, they're you're, obviously, you're not going to make any trades, um, or they're not going to be trading for talent to be better. I mean, really, at this point, you're looking, okay, if you want this team to get better, what can they do from within? You know, I, I've talked until I was blue in my face about Bobby Witt and Nick Prado. Um, they called up, oh, gosh, they... Bring the, him up. The at guy, they called up a third baseman today and I is not a name that I was even familiar with, but he was uh hitting the ball really well and um so but at this point I don't know why you wouldn't give some of these minor league guys so, some burn and see what they can do. Uh, third baseman Emmanuel Rivera got called up today. Uh his nickname is Pulpo. I don't know what that means in Spanish, but I'd be interested to know. But apparently he's very good. All you
1: look at <laughs> is the
0: guy's his name is Pulpo. I mean how up? did you not root for Pulpo? I'm probably even saying that wrong, but he was uh, hitting 282 with 14 home runs at Omaha, oh, so man. you hope to see maybe some of that can translate over. At Kaufman, but that's where we're at. I I mean, that's just flat out where we're at. You know, we got to see what some of these young guys can do, and not necessarily just to see what they can do, but what, where are they going to develop to be ready for 2022? If you're telling me they're going to be better spending the rest of the season in Omaha, then great. They need to do that. If it's going to help them for 2022 to be seeing major league pitching or seeing major league hitters, then they need to be doing that because that's where we're at now. This team needs to be getting ready for 2022. This is the most
1: frustrating thing to me. You look at the June that the Royals have had. Look at the schedule that they have played. They played the Minnesota Twins. Worst team in the Central. Now, if you want to say that it's really the Royals because they're tied with Minnesota, sure, I'll, I'll buy that. But they split with Minnesota, who's terrible. Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim of California. They're three games under 500. Now, I don't know how they're three games under 500 with the stars that they have on that roster, but they are. It's probably because they can't pitch. They're the second-worst, third-worst pitching staff in the entire American League, maybe the fourth-worst. I think the Royals have actually out them for being in the worst pitching staffs for, in the American League. Lost all three to the Angels. Oakland's a good team. Oakland's a very good team. And they lost to the Oakland A's three out of four. But then you get swept by Detroit. Sure, you lose two of three to Boston. A lot of teams are going to lose two to three to Boston. But you lose two of three to the Yankees. 500 team, and then you get swept by the Rangers. And not only that, but none of the games were particularly close. Extremely frustrating because Texas is minus 56 in run differential. They're they're really bad. Texas is a really really bad team. So for for Kansas City to not do any better against Los Angeles, who's the the second worst pitching staff in the American League, giving up the second most runs in the American League, and Texas. That's really frustrating. The Royals are 18 and 21 against teams that are under 500. That's pretty bad. Here's the other thing to, uh, before we move on, Weston, from the Royals. You mentioned about the front office. Dayton Moore joined the club back in 2006, middle of the season, I think June or July. So I'm not going to judge 2006, you know, not even really 2007, but you look at 2007. Through 2012, losing record every year, never won more than 75 games. Now, obviously, you had a four-year run, a five-year run, where the Royals won at least 80 games every year. They had three straight winning seasons. Obviously, they made back-to-back World Series, won a World Series in 2015 and went 500 in 2016, and I don't blame Dayton Moore. I know that there were some that said he should have blown up that team immediately after the World Series run. He should have started rebuilding faster. He wanted to give those guys one more run at it, even though they didn't have quite all the tools that they did in that 2015 run. I totally understand and appreciate and I don't disagree with Dayton Moore wanting to do that. I think you lose the fan base when you do that. So I I understand why he did that. Whether or not it was the right move economically in baseball, I don't care to discuss that. There are other guys who are probably a lot smarter than me who have already made that argument and probably made it convincingly that maybe it wasn't. 2017, the Royals were two games under 500. Not a good team. But they contended. They were in the hunt. They were in the mix. They weren't bad. 2018, Royals won less than 60 games. 2019, Royals won less than 60 games. 2020, hard to judge. Royals were only eight games under 500, but they only played played less than 75 games. So how can you judge what they did last year? That's not a very good track record for Dayton Moore. I understand that this is kind of how baseball is set up now. So if you want to go by that timeline, if you want to go, let's see, the Royals are in the bottom at 2018, so we are looking at, like, what, 2025 to start being good again. Is that good enough? Is is there is there any blame to be laid upon Dayton Moore for how horrible – because this this is the worst the Royals have ever been. 2018, 2019, and maybe the pace that they're on this year – is the worst the Royals have ever been. Right now, the Royals are on a 4.30 pace, so that would be significantly better than 2019, the last full season, when they won only about 36% of their games. But this is a real bad stretch right now, Weston. It would be maybe the worst four-year stretch since Dayton Moore has took over. There are economic challenges in baseball that are unique to the sport that you don't have in football, you don't have in professional hockey that you don't have in the other major sports because of the salary cap. I get that. Is there any blame to be laid upon Dayton Moore for the state of the team right now and how completely anti-competitive they have been over the last now four
0: seasons, three and a half, Excluding the 2020 um, coronavirus shortened season? I mean, the answer has to be yes, because he's the general manager. I mean, there's there's no way other than to say yes when you're the general manager. But I'll say kind of two Fair. different things. One, I do feel like four years in baseball with the unique challenges, like you mentioned, with, with finances and the way you have to rebuild an organization. And I don't think folks really even appreciate wh- how much we sold out at- out to win that world series. I mean, we sold a lot of prospects. There was a, and it was you had to do it. I mean, you there's no way you don't you're not changing anything, but they had to sell a lot. You play to win the. Game. Well, what does Herman Edwards say? Right. That's right. You play
1: you know. to win the game, right? And 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 I think if you asked any Royals fan, I'm not a diehard Royals fan, but I yeah. you know I cheered for the. I've been cheering for the Royals again since I left when they totally gave up hiring. And thank goodness Tommy's not here. But when they hired Juan Gonzalez and Benito Santiago, and I gave up on them because the Royals had given up on baseball. But I got back in in 2008. It's been they've been pretty bad since about 2008 but i think if you would have asked any royals fan the average royals fan i think that they would all yeah. say you know what i'm willing to take this because the way that we've been doing it has not been working we've been pretty terrible since 19 what 90 with the exception of 2 years yeah. with tony pena so i think that they would take it but at this point you know this yeah. is a what have you done for me lately business and the royals have not done a whole lot lately
0: well, and to me, I think next year feels like the year where it starts to become a problem for Dayton Moore because, um, you know, there's still, for whatever reason, there's still a lot of hype around the, the, I don't know, seven, eight players that are in the minor league system, right? And as long as you have that hope that, hey, we have, they have put together pieces that will eventually be ready for the minor leagues, it never even really felt like that. I mean, up until the Moose, Haas, Sal, Danny Duffy group of players until that little group boy there was 15 years of not even feeling like there was hope i mean there wasn't <laughs> no. even excitement there wasn't you know this oh well if once we get these guys ready Dane moore was the one that got that ready he's doing it again i'm not saying it's gonna pan out i'm just saying the fans at least have that to grasp onto. It, it, that stretch runs out eventually right eventually it has to happen like like you always say what what do you do for me lately but i will say when you win a world series and when you've won a world series you cares the last, a lot of ills you know 6 years you're gonna you're, that's right and you're gonna get a longer leeway and he certainly is he's earned that right and i don't disagree um, to, with to that to have a little extra leeway with the fans so i think to answer your question yes i mean absolutely he is to blame for where we're at because he's the general manager you know i mean if <laughs> if it's winning now he could be doing different things to win now that's not the plan. I don't think we're scratching the plan yet. You know, I mean, this it's not like saying, okay, well, now we got to... Once you start trading those prospects that you were banking on, that's when it becomes a problem. If they were to have to move on from, let's say, Brady Singer or Jackson Kowar, they were flipping those guys, now you've got a problem because you obviously screwed up that, that group that was supposed to be the ones to bring us back into that winning stage. Kansas City Royals currently in action
1: against Boston. And they are currently down in Boston, 6-5. to Royals have now lost five games in a row after winning back-to-back games for what I believe is just the second time all month, beating the Red Sox to win that series on the 20th and then going to win the first game at Yankee Stadium on the 22nd. First back-to-back wins for the Royals since they beat the Twins in back-to-back games Thursday and Friday in their first full series of June. And then, of course, you remember that they beat the Pirates back First day of the month for a three-game winning streak at that time, but it has not gone well for the boys in blue since. Royals wrapping up this month at the Red Sox. The game is still underway. As you are watching this tomorrow on Tuesday, that game gets a first pitch of 6-10. Same on Wednesday. Thursday getaway day, they play at noon. And then back for a short homestand against the Twins and the Reds before heading to Cleveland. And the All-Star break will be upon us the week of july 11th at uh coors field for the kansas city royals hoping that we're going to get more than one royal there for the all-star game moving on now to some other summertime topics and not a lot going on in the wichita area but Talking Wichita State basketball, kind of wet our whistle a little bit because we know the Wichita State fans, Wichita State basketball, number one thing you want to talk about. Some exciting recruits, exciting development going on there. Of course, they are watching a couple of players that they are hoping to get back, namely Tyson Etienne from the NBA draft. The University of Kansas Jayhawks are also looking with some trepidation at the NBA draft, hoping to get a couple of players back as they look to reload and try to get back to prominence in the Big 12 after being knocked off the perch this past year in the return to action during coronavirus. Of course, the two names that we are all looking at, Jalen Wilson and Ochai Abaje And the latest coming from Through the Fog, uh, According to Through the Fog, maybe some light numbers for Ochai Abaji, and they are saying maybe this is making it a little bit more likely that Abaji could be coming back for Kansas. Obviously, Abaji, with a big outtime shooting threat for Kansas, helps to stretch the floor, provides a nice, cool, calm demeanor. But at times, when the three of us were talking, Weston, He definitely was not that alpha male, score, give me the ball, and I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to win us this game like perhaps a Devon Dotson was or an Andrew Wiggins, a Ben McLemore, those type of players. Frank Mason, Devontae Graham. Not the kind of guy that you could put the ball in his hand and trust to make a move to just win you a game, to just will you to a win that maybe you shouldn't get. He wasn't that guy. Other guy we're looking at, of course, is Jalen Wilson, who was a little bit up and down offensively, but really came on rebounding the basketball in the Big 12 season. Was a really key rebounder for the Jayhawks inside. A great stretch player, matchup problem. Obviously, both of those guys and really the entire team did not have the end of the season that they wanted. They were exposed at times against Southern California as they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. But so far, a little bit of a soft showing from Ochai Abaji at the NBA Combine. A lot of the measurables looking pretty good, but in terms of the point production in the scrimmages... Most of the reading and the literature that I have read so far seems to suggest like maybe he could do a little bit better by coming back. I haven't heard as much about Jalen Wilson. I feel like Wilson's going to be coming back. What are your thoughts on Ochai Abaji, Jalen Wilson, their possible return, and what that would mean for Kansas basketball if they do return?
0: Yeah, um, I'm with you. I I, I think it's Pretty unquestionable that uh, Jalen Wilson will be coming back. Uh, not to say that he's not, you know, legitimately testing the waters and all that, or not that I've heard any sources. I just it seems like what I've read, what I've seen, there's just not much suggestion that he, you know, would find a very favorable landing spot if he if he stayed. Obviously, I don't think he'd be drafted. So it's a matter of do you want to try to, you know, sign a an undrafted free agent contract or try to weasel your way through the European League? And that just doesn't seem like that's going to be probably the best route for him as young as he still is um ochai i think it's still a little bit questionable because you know like you mentioned look there's certainly things that, that we all question about his game i mean he you know at times he sh- he shoots the ball so well he can be explosive uh, at times he shrinks away from the game all of that doesn't matter as much to nba scouts i, I don't think just because it is such a um, particularly for guys that are, you know, I mean, I don't. There was no real suggestion that he'd be a first-round pick, so it's it's projectables, right? I mean, and, and the fact that, you know, he does he had a six ten wingspan as a six foot five guard. I mean, that's something that they look at and think, boy, okay, sure. he's got the intangible things. Um, you know or i guess to would be tangible but the things that we can't coach you know you can't coach a 6 foot 10 wingspan right. you can make you can work on a guy's jump shot you can work on his aggressive attitude you can't teach a 6 foot 10 wingspan out of a 6 foot 5 guard did you see Blake uh, that Ochai had a 4.15% body fat. I think I have more <laughs> fat in my left thigh than that kid does on his entire body. It's an, well, I it's guarantee an, it's I intense. have more
1: fat in my
0: face than he probably does in <laughs> his entire body. That's such an insane number to me, 4.15% body fat. And I think he was third. That was like only the third best uh, that, um, that Yev's Looks pawn. Looks like he's in the gym quite pawn. a bit. Yeah. From Tennessee was number one, but he's got those kind of things. So you know, I certainly think that there is definitely a path for him. And we kind of talked about this last week, or maybe the week before. It's not always also about where can you get drafted, uh, but I think sometimes the feedback they're looking for is, would I benefit from going back to college? If you're telling me that, look, I, the what, just my body size, those kind of things. I'm you know I'm probably not going to be drafted or maybe a second round pick but that's the best it will ever be then a lot of times those players go okay well I'm going to go even if it means getting an undrafted free agent contract afterwards no reason to not go make money if scouts are telling me you know I don't think that there's any better stock for me later on so that might play in here with Ochai I, I don't you know, It sounds like if you're, if you're saying you're hearing feedback that, hey, maybe another year would help him, that certainly would be a reason to push him back. I do think he probably has to make some sort of read, though, on this Kansas team as we transition into this conversation about the Kansas basketball team, because not to say that he would lose a starting spot, but there's a lot more mouths to feed this year, whether that's scoring or just minutes altogether, that coming back may not help him even if he is you know still kind of the guy at Kansas there's no doubt I think he'd have a reduction in minutes just based on the depth they have just to keep people fresh even not not to say anything about Ochai and same with scoring there's just so many more guys on this team that can score um so I think that's something that he has to consider, and I'm sure that they will be talking about and, and have that conversation as well. And then the third guy you forgot to mention, uh, Blake, is Remy Martin, the transfer from Arizona State, who's also testing the waters. And if he doesn't go, sure. will be um, coming back to Kansas. And I haven't read or seen much about that. I, I mean, I uh, I have not seen any mock drafts or suggestions that he would get drafted, not to say that they're right or that there isn't feedback feedback out there that he would, but I think kind of signs are maybe pointing that he would be a guy that that will be ending up in Lawrence next year. Yeah,
1: the Remy Martin, you know, It it, it doesn't feel like KU's really ever actually had him, so it's not we're going to be losing him. So I I don't even really consider him to be a jail. He's like a Deshaun Stevenson at
0: this point. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. That's a good comparison.
1: If we get him, great. You know, everybody's excited to have him. But until he gets here and puts a uniform on, you know, it's the same conversation argument that I have with you and Tommy all the time about these high school recruits. Until I see him in a game, don't. Talk to me about Remy Martin. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit different for him because he's actually played college basketball, yeah. whereas you know some of the recruits right. for football or for basketball they haven't played at all. So I'm I'm excited about what he brings to the table, but I'm I'm not getting you know too hyped on him yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting article by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World. Uh, he writes his Tales from the Tate blog, and he writes and mentions maybe that he could benefit by coming back, and even though he was the leading scorer last year, transitioning into more of just a three-point shooter and playing defense, not being a predominant offensive kind of guy. Like you just mentioned what they call in the NBA the three and D, which all of that means for you college people because that's not necessarily a thing that happens in college you're expected to do more. The pool of really great players is so much bigger at the college level. There are so many fewer guys that can truly be called great players at the NBA level that you can really specialize in doing one specific thing on a team because there's just so many fewer teams that you've got to get rosters for. In college, there are so many teams that every team's got to have a great player. And so the barometer for being great in college is so much lower you don't necessarily have a chance to specialize if some of these guys that you have mentioned though can come in and maybe take some of that load off of him like yasufu like remy martin maybe some of maybe it's going to be a freshman that we haven't even discussed yet who can come in and maybe be that kind of a guy a lot of people are projecting that ochiabaji is a three and d player Mm -hmm. at the nba level So maybe if he just focuses on being a 3-and-D player at Kansas, he will be more effective here. Even though he doesn't score as many points, he might be more attractive in the NBA draft. Because look at what he did with his three-point line percentage from his first year, 2019-2020, to last year. 2019-2020, 2019, 2020. Obviously, that team was unbelievable. 28 and three. Devon Dotson, 18 points per game. Azubuike was shooting, you know, 75 percent from the field. It was absurd. And Ochai was the third option. Scored 10 points per game. Only shot 34 percent from the field last year, though. And he had 136 three-point attempts, 269 attempts overall. Last year, he took 321 shots. 191 of them were threes, but he made 39% of his three-pointers. If he can come back, maybe shoot a few less threes, but hit 42%, 43%. Not only does that help his NBA draft status, because, you know, I believe... Maybe this is wrong. I believe that a three-point shooter, by the time you're out of college, you're about as good as you're going to get. The line doesn't get closer when you go to the NBA. And if they – hell, they can't even teach big men to shoot free throws at the NBA. So why in the hell are they going to teach little guys how to shoot a 35-foot shot? It's not going to happen. Either you can make the three-pointer or you can't at that point. If Ochai Abaji can come back – Continue to dial in that three-point shot for one more year. If he raised it 5% to 43% from the three-point line, he's going to have more space to operate with on the outside as well if Kansas gets a more reliable dribble offense from their perimeter guys. Going into the paint, I think that's going to open things up more for David McCormick as well. I think that you could run a lot of pick and roll actions with McCormick. McCormick you know, still shot 51%. I still think that he is going to be a big part of the offense next year, whether people like that or not. But I think that having those two guys, if they come in and produce, Yusufu and Martin, or perhaps a freshman we haven't mentioned, I think that can open up the three-point line for Abaji. I think that can open up the lane more for David McCormick. It's just going to space the floor and I think make everybody just a little bit more dangerous. And Jalen Wilson, I think, plugs into this quite well. I mean, Jalen Wilson, he's a guy who could probably come back and stand to improve his three-point percentage. He only shot 33% last year. But if you can get him up to about 10 rebounds a game. If he can average, he averaged eight last year. He was KU's leading rebounder. Very athletic, a lot stronger than you think he is for his size, and a good passer, too. He ended up being second on the team in assists last year. If he can come back and average 10 rebounds a game, shoot 38% from the three point line, you can't tell me that Jalen Wilson isn't going to improve his draft stock dramatically by doing that and the best part is Weston for us I think KU is a much much better team next yeah. year with those components in place as well
0: well and you certainly expect those guys to grow just by going through the combine process you know they're around great players they're around good trainers Scouts. or guys that are working them out so they're going to certainly going to grow as players as well um you know and, and going back to ochi too one thing that you know, you got to think about as a KU fan too, with Marcus Garrett leaving, Ochai is going to be that that predominant lockdown defender. I mean, he's going to be getting the team's best player going into next season because, so that to your point, it, it, he's going to get to showcase whether that defense is out there or not. Um, you know, and uh, before we kind of you know, I don't know wh- where we're gonna transition either out of, out of KU or or onto another subject. But um, you know, we got to we can't forget too. We got the return of Mitch Lightfoot coming back next year, <laughs> so you know, a real reliable, uh, you know, reliable. presence there in the middle, work outside, inside. Uh, it uh, no, but seriously, though, it will be interesting to see how. Uh, I think that'll probably be one of the most interesting things about next season is to see how Bill works this rotation. He's got so many guys. So much depth. Depth should not be an issue. I'm, I'm curious if you if you even see something. You know, if, uh, I think I might have floated this. I don't know if this was something I said to someone in passing or if I said it on this podcast. But you could the way he the depth he has, he could absolutely have a, a five man group that is four out one in like he's been playing the last few years and have uh, a a, a high low post group. Uh, without really giving up anything on either of those fives. You know, like Kentucky did that one year, and I don't know that we've never seen Bill Self do that, but he absolutely has 10 guys that are deserving of Big 12 quality minutes. You know, not to say he won't whittle it down to seven, but it will be very interesting how he works this rotation or how he sets this team up if Ochai and Jalen Wilson, and Remy Martin for that matter, all end up playing in Lawrence next year.
1: I think that you will see Bill Self just because he has always traditionally been that guy. That he, once you get to March, he's only going to play eight guys, and in some games he might only play seven, and if he has to, he might only play six. I mean, he, he we have seen in the triple overtime. Do you remember that triple overtime game against Oklahoma? Bill Self was not subbing anybody out. The only guy that got subbed out, I think, was Landon Lucas, and he had some foul trouble. He was about the only guy that played less than 45 minutes for KU in that game. Everybody else, he was going to ride until they died. Not because Bill Sub doesn't care about his players, but just because... He believes that in order to be the best team, that you got to play your best players the most. That's the only way that you get the most out of your really great players is by having them on the floor as often as possible. So I do not believe that you'll have a long rotation. At the beginning of the year, yeah, absolutely possible. But by the end of the year, Bill Self just always finds a way to get it down to eight or seven or sometimes even six. One other quick note, KU is going to be hosting – Kentucky in the Big 12 SEC Challenge January 29th. That was just announced uh, this week. So that's kind of one of the last little key cogs in the basketball schedule the big 12 holds a 44 and 35 record against the sec in the event and the big 12 won the 2014 15 16 and 2019 challenges but they did lose last year in the 2020 challenge and uh, even the 2021 so the sec now has won three of the last four we'll see if the big 12 can turn that around this year heading north and to a different sport one that's going to be here a lot quicker Kansas State football. The Kansas State Wildcats have been very, very busy on the recruiting trail here recently. A lot of recent signings. But we're going to start closer to home in the Kansas Shrine Bowl. Gavin Hazelhorst, really, really great look at him at the Kansas State uh, at the Kansas State Shrine Bowl. A Hayes Indian graduate, now going to be a Kansas State linebacker. The West team beat the East team 14 to nothing. That game was played. Last weekend, by the way, in Kansas, a lot of local representation from the City League and all around South Central Kansas, but Hazel Horst had three sacks for the West team. Weston uh, looks absolutely dominant. I know he's going to be playing a much different position because he was a 6'1", 230-pound defensive lineman in the game, and that's where he was at Hayes. It's going to be a little bit of a transition to Coach Kleiman's defense and playing linebacker, but Mm -hmm. there is no doubt... Absolutely no doubt that Kansas State is getting a big-time athlete here and a guy with some speed, which you kind of need at that linebacker position with all of the speed and all the athletes that these run-and-gun typically Big 12 offenses throw at you.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a big get for Kansas State, too, and I expect to see big things out of him. I don't know necessarily about his, his freshman year or anything like that. It's just so hard to transition from high school to, to college like that, uh, particularly in the Big 12. Um, but it, like you mentioned, his speed, I, I think the thing that's going to be great about him is how versatile he can be, and he's coming into this system with already having pass rush ability. I mean, he learned how to pass rush as a defensive lineman. That's going to translate immediately when you back him up and stand him up and let him play linebacker. He's already got the pass rushing down. Now you just need to to teach him or help him learn where to be and what at the right time. And that's instinctual a lot. So, you know, you can tell that he, this kid just has a nose for, for the football. He had that massive hit, uh, on the, and I can't remember what school that, that quarterback was was from during the Shrine Bowl game, but big hit that everybody was posting. It kind of went viral on, on social media. But you can tell he just has instincts for the football, so I think that translates so well when you back him up, and it's just great to combine that with the very technical side of pass rushing that he already has at least started to develop You know, playing that position in, in high school. So I think it's a big get for Kansas State, and I certainly expect him to be you know, kind of a, as, as Kansas State's looking to who's going to replace, you know, Wyatt, Wyatt Hubert, um, and again, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that, that Gavin's going to start next year or even necessarily play next year, but as K- Kansas State continues to build, they just seem to always have those, you know, that defensive of end every year. Ba- and I know he's, it's linebacker, but kind of that same, that, improbable, you know, it didn't come from like a, a, the Texas or Florida, they always have that small town kid that just seems to be the staple that the defense is built around. And I think Gavin Hasselhorst can be that, you know, moving forward.
1: Well, and Kansas State's going to need a little bit of help because defensively, they were not one of the best teams. Obviously, KU was the worst, but defensively, Kansas State was eighth last year. They gave up 32 points per game. Rush defense, the Wildcats were seventh. And in the past defense, Kansas State, believe it or not, was the worst team in the Big 12 last year. Kansas State opponents, they passed for 67% completion against the Wildcats. So he's going to have to be kind of that dual threat guy being able to stop the run and the pass. And you look at the team statistics from last year as well. Kansas State was outrushed by about 23 yards per game, and they were outpassed by about 80 to 85 yards a game. Kansas State averaged about 30, 340 yards per game. They gave up 445 yards per game in that disappointing coronavirus shortened season last year. Other big news coming out from Kansas State football a very very late signing for the 2021 class as an offensive tackle from right here in South Central Kansas a former Hutchinson Blue Dragon Kingsley Ugwu has announced that he is going to Kansas State the uh he will be a guy that, according to Bring on the Cats, they're thinking that he might be able to just plug in and be a starter on that team at left tackle. Obviously, you're going to have Noah Johnson as your starter at center. Love what he brings to the table, and you know that I am biased. I covered him when he was at Bishop Carroll. Got to interview him several times at the Coaches Show. Such a phenomenal family. Love that guy. The offensive line is, I think, going to have to be really, really key this year For Kansas State, mainly because you have got to do a good job of keeping your quarterback healthy this year. I don't know if it's gonna be Skylar Thompson or Will Howard, I'm not sure. But either way, this is an offense under Coach Kleiman that has run the football with the quarterback a lot in the past. Will that be the case when they come back? I'm not sure. But Will Howard was the number two rusher on the team last year. Skyler Thompson had 19 carries in the three games that he played. So Kansas State appears committed to running the football with the quarterback. Obviously, you like to see that because I think that opens up more things for Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn, I think, is going to be kind of the centerpiece of that offense, I would imagine. Maybe there's some receiver that I'm not aware of. I don't believe that Will Howard or Skyler Thompson is going to be able to be that downrange quarterback that's going to be able to open up everything in the passing game? Certainly not Will Howard. Will Howard is going to have to have improved a lot. He only passed about 55-53% last year. Now Skylar Thompson, I think he can be a very accurate passer. Can he be the deep ball threat? He was only averaging about 210 yards per game last year through the air. So I think that the protection of the quarterback is going to be really, really key. And Ugwu has got four years to play three seasons. Remember, normally in junior college, you've got two for two or three years to play two, but because of the coronavirus, they've got that extra season. So I think with Ugwu, really good chance here to come in, contribute right away, especially at that left tackle position, which, as you know, so critical, especially when you've got a mobile quarterback, which I – I don't suspect that the Cats are going to go straight drop back passing this year. Maybe Coach Kleiman's going to totally change schemes. I just don't see that happening. I think Okwu could be a really, really big pickup for Kansas State.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you know, Kansas State's offensive line is usually almost pretty is always fairly solid, right? I mean, it's just a matter of whether you're that. When Kansas State is good, yeah, they typically have a very yeah. good offensive yeah, line. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think I think everything starts with the quarterback, really, for me. And, and it's going to be Skylar Thompson. You know, not to say Will, I think Will Howard's going to play. I mean, because you saw him play last year, and I, I just you just don't see that in college very often. That I think a college coach is willing to just Completely remove someone from the offense who really he's going to be losing his spot because Skylar Thompson's coming back healthy, um, you know, and he's coming back for his sixth year. To me, there's there's no scenario in which Skylar Thompson doesn't come back without having that conversation with Coach Kleiman that he's the guy they're going to move forward with him. He did good good to great things for Kansas State prior to being injured, and so I think that really adds to to for their to their season next year. I mean, having an experienced quarterback is such a huge. Benefit plus necessity in the game of college football, particularly in the Big 12. Um, So that that's going to be a huge get for them, or not get? I mean, I guess return to health for them. Uh, But I I think you're going to see a lot of that. But to your point, and he definitely throws the ball better than Will Howard. But I still think the Cats are always going to be a run first team. And I expect to see that because that's their strengths, right? Skylar Thompson runs the ball well. Deuce Vaughn is fantastic. So to figure out ways, you know, and creative ways to get him the ball, I mean, maybe they do throw a little bit more, um, but, you know, getting him involved in the screen game, out of the backfield. uh, Really, they are, the the Wildcats, probably their biggest hole right now, or their glaring need, I would say, would be at wide receiver. Uh, The returning Chabastian Taylor, who I think is their leading wide receiver Uh, He had 293 yards last season. Uh, Also Malik Knowles, who I really like. I think he's got... He flashes a lot of ability, so he would be the one that I would suspect to take the biggest step forward from the receiving core this year. And I think, you know, it's not... the. The season always kind of it's just the game of football. If your quarterback's great, that's gonna elevate the team. If you have a bad quarterback, you just can't win games. Um, but I do think Malik Knowles taking that step forward is one of the biggest keys for this team, because while they can run the ball and run the ball effectively, without being able to push the ball downfield at times, you're just not gonna win a whole lot of football games. You're certainly not gonna compete, in my opinion, for a Big Twelve title without being able to do it when necessary. That's not to say you can't win by being an effective run first team, but you have to be able to push the ball downfield when needed. Uh, This conference is too good to just not be able to do that. And I think Malik Knowles taking that step forward is kind of the the biggest thing uh, for the Wildcats to get themselves back in that, top echelon of teams i don't i certainly wouldn't predict them to win the big 12 i think they're always competitive right i mean they're how many years of them winning eight football football Typically. games is just you know it feels like the norm for them they're always right there and competitive and i think they're going to be back to that where it's one or two breaks and Hey, man, they're like, you know, we're talking about competing for a Big 12 or one or two breaks the other way. And it's, you know, and it's a seven win season. So that's kind of where I feel like they're going to be. But they're going to need a few things to go right, a few guys to take those next steps. And and in my mind, you know, Malik Knowles being one and then really the defensive unit as a whole, you got a lot of turnover uh, there. Just with, you know, guys graduating and I mentioned Wyatt Hubert earlier, you just need that next group of guys to take that step as a unit. And they typically do that. I mean, the Kansas State always puts a pretty quality defense out there. Um, but, you know, pretty quality is the difference in whether they, you know, win seven or eight games or they're in the conversation about if this team loses and this team wins, maybe they could be in, you know, a hunt for a Big 12 championship. Uh, but, you know, that that's just kind of my opinion of where this team sits. I love Deuce Vaughn, I just think they need to be a little bit
1: more diversified for him. He was he was their leading receiver yeah. last year. He had their best average catch of anybody that had more than 10 catches. He averaged 17 and a half yeah. yards a catch last year. He had 434 get yards. I think you need at least one big pl- yes, get, get in the football, feed him the ball. I'm not saying to take away touches but I think that it's going to work out a lot better if you can get a a big down the field receiver guy that is going to stretch the field open yeah. up the short game probably open up something for another slot receiver and I think that Skyler Thompson gives them the best chance to make that happen because I do think he can push the ball down the field a little bit better than Will uh, and and let's you know Will Howard was is just at this point I'm not saying he can't get there, but his quarterback rating last year was 116. and in the three games Skylar Thompson played, it was 166. Skylar Thompson is a far more accurate thrower of the football right now. So I think if you don't have Skylar Thompson, you got to totally retool your offense because you cannot have Will Howard throwing as much as he did last year and be successful. That is our Kansas State football talk for this week. We have got one last uh, piece of business to take care of, and so we're going to go ahead and hit the music. It is time for the Wichita Whip Around, a story from the Wichita area that we didn't have time to get to on the show today, but one that we think you need to know, and we'll start with you, Weston. What is your Whip Around story for this week?
0: I actually have two, so I'm going to do one, let you go, and then I'm going to go Always come back. breaking the rules. Uh, So first one, former... Well, you'll see why I have to get the second one in but former Wichita State sprinter uh, Deja Young Craddock will be she was selected for Team USA in the for the upcoming 2021 Paralympic Games in Tokyo Uh, She ran at Wichita State. She actually won the gold medal in 2016 in Rio de Janeiro won in the 100 and 200 Uh, But she competed at Wichita State from 2014 to 2018 was second team all-american uh, as a freshman on the 400 meter relay team, placed 16th at the NCAA outdoor championships. Um, and so she will be getting to go to Tokyo and compete in the Paralympics coming up here in just uh, about a month. Very big congratulations
1: to her. I'm going to go with tennis. Yes, it is that time of year, breakfast at Wimbledon and a local Wichita tie actually made an appearance at Wimbledon this week. Katie Swan, who resides in Wichita, has been kind of home base out of Wichita. Now her home country is Great Britain. She's from England, but she is been living in Wichita for a number of years, actually won the qualifier to get a bid into the ladies' draw at Wimbledon. The tournament getting underway this week, she beat Arena Radianova 6-love, six 6-4 six four, with four aces to win that match. She is already out of the tournament. She lost to the American number 23 seed Madison Keys 6-3 and 6-4 in the first round, but she has had so many injuries, so much that she's had to overcome to try to make it back to that level. I think she made her Wimbledon debut on the grass there at the All-England Club in 2018 or so, and she had some really tough qualifiers. Had to be the number six seed in the qualifier. Katie McNally, who I, I player that I think still has a chance to make a really big run at the at the main draw level at some point. Had to come back from one set down to win that. Uh, so it, it was a great accomplishment by Katie Swan to get in just to make it. Madison Keyes is a fantastic player. She's made a United States Open. I still believe I still believe that she is going to win a major. I might be an idiot, but I still have faith in Madison Keys that she is going to win a major. So that's she didn't lose to a slouch. Madison Keys works very hard, but Katie Swan, congratulations for getting back to Wimbledon. That is my whip around story. What is your second story?
0: All right, we're going we're more Olympic talk but this Good, time. I like we're going uh out to Andel, Kansas. Oh my God! By way of Eugene, Oregon. You really are shameless. Uh, former, former Andale, and by former I mean she was a senior this last year. Javelin thrower Caitlin Fairchild was invited out to Eugene, Oregon, for the U.S. Uh, track uh, or Olympic uh, trials. In her, in the semifinals in javelin, she finished twelfth with a throw of one sixty eleven which qualified for the finals and then ended up taking 12th in the finals. But Caitlin Fairchild, you know, just out of, out of high school, the only, only individual who was not either a college thrower or a unattached professional javelin thrower, making the final rounds and, you know, obviously coming up, I guess that would be nine spots short uh, of making the Olympics, but incredible for a girl that, that will be a freshman at Texas A&M next year. Um, I actually played football with her brother, Matt Fairchild, oh, and, the her West dad, and Tim Fairchild, was my defensive coordinator. So uh, lots of connections to the Fairchild family, but uh, big congrats to Caitlin Fairchild.
1: I do I do want to say congratulations to her because I do think that that is a fantastic story. Of course, you would, you know, uh, muck it up by making it all about you, but <laughs> i do think that that's fantastic and boy in 2024 when the olympics are back around where are they going when yeah. they're in pyeongchang i think next time um oh yeah i think so. i think that's where the 2024 olympics are going to be but um i think that she's got a a really big chance to oh no sorry it is pity paris is hosting 2024 oh. olympics so uh, I think she's got a really great chance to make it. Boy, wouldn't that be fantastic if we could have somebody from yeah. right here in, in South Central Kansas and Sedgwick County to make the uh, make the Olympic team and maybe become a national star. So that is our Wichita Whip Around. We are running out of show. Time to go to our last segment, the additions, corrections, and retractions. Any ACs or R's for you, Weston?
0: Yeah, quick quick addition. Um, we talked a little Kansas State football Heading over to Lawrence to talk about your favorite college football team, uh, Blake, the Kansas Jayhawks. They right. got a new commitment via the transfer portal, a six foot four, which is abnormally large, cornerback mm-hmm. uh, from Virginia Tech by the name of Jeremy Webb. Certainly would expect him to be a plug and play type guy coming over from Virginia Tech um, in a very depleted Kansas secondary that was already terrible last year. So, uh, pretty big get for. For the crew for Leopold or Leipold and the uh, crew there in Lawrence.
1: I will go to volleyball actually and this is Big 12 volleyball as there were three Kansas school players that were named to the 2012 or 2021 All-Big 12 preseason team. Caroline Crawford, a 6'3 middle blocker out of Lansing, Kansas, a sophomore. She was actually invited to practice and try out with a national team for Team USA. Jenny Mosser from Lakeville, Minnesota, a graduate player, outside hitter 5'11 for Kansas, and also a unanimous selection to the team. Aliyah Carter from Kansas State, a 5'9 sophomore from Iowa, so three players, two Jayhawks, one Wildcat on the All-Big 12 preseason team. Yes, Shocker fans, I checked. American does not have their preseason team out yet. We're certainly hoping that we're going to see some shockers on that team. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Chris Lamb reloads that team after such a fantastic start to the season that didn't end at all like they wanted in that weird spring season of the American Athletic Conference volleyball season. That is our show for the week. We are going to be off next week. We'll be off for the Saint, uh, Saint, uh, this, what, Saint Columbia? Who is the patron saint of America? It's not Columbia. I don't think we have one because we're not a Catholic country. We're off for the 4th of July holiday. So, hope you have a fantastic Independence Day with your family and friends next week. So, our next show is actually going to be coming up on the 12th july 12th is when we'll be recording the show probably we'll be dropping it on the 13th so look for us here in a couple of weeks and rumor has it we may be back to the three-man booth in a couple of weeks tommy castor is scheduled to make his long-awaited return to the Cogpod coming up on the 13th so we will hope to see him then before we wrap it up weston for one more time, would you please for our dear audio listeners inform them of your Twitter handle so they can get in touch with you and tell you how shameless your Weston whip around was to end the show
0: feel free to send all those comments to WMills94
1: and I am at BECRIPPS at B-E-Crips on Twitter once again, at COGPOD on Twitter, best place to follow along with us watch on Facebook and YouTube share cogsports.com really appreciate all the likes shares and subscriptions ring the bell get the notifications so that you can get all the information next time that we drop a podcast enjoy your fourth of july holiday and as i always say before we go on vacation weston make sure that when you leave and when you come back you are not in jail and that you still have 10 fingers and 10 toes that makes for a successful vacation you won't want to come back without any of these That is a good rule. So, until then, don't listen unless you come back out of jail and with ten fingers and toes. We will see you in a couple of weeks. For the producer-engineer of the show, Tommy Caster, and Weston Mills. Blake Cripps, this has been Keeper of the Games. Take care, you guys.
0: You've been listening
1: to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.